Welcome to Dragon Talk. We got lots of singing in this one. Elevation. Elevation. You up. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Dragon Talk. Where we talk to all kinds of dragons. Dragons talk like this. Is that how, when you're a dungeon mastering, <laughs> <laughs> they just can't let other people talk? They're like, <laughs> they're interrupting dragon. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? The interrupting dragon. <laughs> you're supposed to cut me off. Oh, interrupting dragon. <laughs> <laughs> I screwed up the you joke. You ruined my joke. I did. I'm anyway. very, I'm very good at ruining things. <laughs> All the things I touch are ruined. Greg Tito ruins everything. I do not. At least I don't try to because there's at least one thing I did, which was put together the people on our interview to make an, a really amazing adventure. Yes. Did you? I, so that was. I didn't know that, that this was all of your doing. Yeah, so uh, uh, Dr. B, uh, yeah. Dr. Bokumatsa, the clinical director of Take This, okay. uh, who we've had on the show before, but yeah. a long time early ago. Early guest, yes. Many, like three years he ago. He's an early believer of Dragon Talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for believing in us. Uh, you're a good person, Dr. B. Um, he uh, has been wanting to do an adventure like this that was uh, focusing on mental health and uh, wanted to put it up uh, for sale in the Dungeon Masters Guild uh, to raise money for uh, his organization, Take This. And so I knew Bill Benham was a newly uh, started uh, associate producer here at Dungeons & Dragons. Had had some experience with uh, mental health as well as writing adventures, and I thought he'd be a perfect uh, collaborator. And then they brought in Hannah Rose to do uh, some mechanics and as well as be editor for, for all of the adventure and stuff. And, yeah, they it all came together. What an amazing group of people. Yeah. The adventure is called Gardens of Fog. Uh, you can get it on Dungeon Masters Guild, and it uh, delves into what can happen. Uh, with a character uh, in D anD D that is uh, uh, not is going through a rough time, and yeah. the player characters have to go in uh, to their mindscape and uh, try to um, figure out the way to allow that player to uh, to get some help. I love it. Or I love character, the whole rather, of the, it. the character getting help. Yeah, uh, very interesting stuff. They go in about uh, the ways to run that uh, in the interview, as well as what uh, people can get out of it. Yeah, there's a lot to know. So. Raising awareness for all types of, uh, of of mental issues is uh, a big deal out there. I think a lot of people are getting more and more comfortable with talking about the challenges that they go through, and it's really exciting uh, that uh, there's a Dungeons & Dragons module that, that, that delves into it as well. Yeah, I love it. Good stuff. They did great work. I want to say there are another group out there that did some really great work. On the Acquisitions Incorporated book that is now available. You're the Segway King today. Oh, thank you for lifting that was me up, so Shelley. Good. Of course. Oh, but yeah, no, My there's pleasure. so many amazing people worked on uh, the Acquisitions Incorporated book, uh, including uh, Jerry Holkins, otherwise known as Oban Drawn, uh, Alyssa Grant, uh, producer there at Penny Arcade, making this thing happen. Uh, Dan Tovar and Bill Benham here on the D and D side, wrangling all of the things, yep. including uh, Jeremy Crawford and Ben Pet. Uh, doing a lots of uh, uh, you know uh, design work to uh, get it out the door, and it is an amazing book. It it's lets fun. you uh, play in the Acquisitions Incorporated, you know, kind of demonic fantasy corporate world uh, that that is. Um, you can create a, a character that has a specific position in a franchise so of AI. 
Uh, there's information there on many NPCs you know and love, uh, or well, I would say PCs that are, can appear as NPCs in your group, including, say, like Rosie B. Stinger, who is played by Kate Welch on Actors Incorporated, the C Team, uh, or um, Omen Drawn, or Jim Dark Magic, or Viari, which is Patrick Rothfuss' character, which he played at. D&D Live when he was there. Uh, you know, so tons of fun stuff uh, is in there as well as a six-level adventure uh, that, uh, you know, or a, s- a series of, of encounters and adventures that can be done as a, as a six-level campaign. Awesome. Yeah. A little bit of a different vibe than Gardens of Fog. A different vibe, different for vibe. sure. Yeah. But you know what? There's all different types of D&D. That, and that is one thing that we're really uh, putting out there this year, that the different flavors of, yeah. of Dungeons & Dragons play out there uh, is a big tenet of... A cooperative storytelling game like this. Yep. Right? Very so, much so. Ack Inc. is one of those things. It's available now. You can get it um, anywhere you can buy D&D books, essentially. So, you know, bookstores, big box stores. Uh, there you can also get them uh, on Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, uh, D&D Beyond, as well as at PennyArcade.com. They're awesome. selling the hardcover book there. So if you're interested, jump into it Everywhere. if you can. There is also Ghosts of Saltmarsh out now. Yes, it is. It is a fantastic 1 to 12 level uh, campaign uh, of, of a series of adventures, some of which were uh, adapted from previously written adventures and published adventures and uh, strung together into a seafaring slash uh, swashbuckling slash piratey campaign. Is that? Yeah. Sail the Seven Seas. If my dad were going to get into D&D, this is the one. Yeah, is he a nautical? He's nautical, nautical dude? but he also loves pirates. Oh, really? Yes, I didn't know. The idea. one time that I played D anD D with him and my mom, he was like, "Can I be a pirate?" And because I was a good dungeon master, I said yes. Of course yes, you can. can. Of course you can. So you're going to start running a Ghost of Saltmarsh campaign with your parents? No. Oh, I thought that was, nice try. I thought that you were in. I thought you were like then. You know, Quinn's going to be uh, his character, oh, a little baby pirate. A little baby pirate. Oh, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Until he turns 13. He's like, I'm a pirate. Shelly. Shut up. <laughs> I'm going to play D&D with my friends. Shut up, Mom. Shelly. <laughs> it's weird, like, every now and again your kids slip up and call you Greg. Yeah. It's jarring. It is. It is. It is it's a bit kind bizarre. of adorable, but like, ugh. You're like, wait a second. What? Don't call me that. Whatever, dude. That's what I say to my girls all the time. I'm like, shut up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so then now they call me dude and mom dude all the time. And oh, mom's like, really I'm not cute. a dude. And uh, hilarity and ensues. Yep. Yeah. In the Tito house. <laughs> and then they blame me. And your live studio audience laughs and laughs. And laughs. <laughs> the, the sitcom of our lives. Like, I'm not a dude. <laughs> <laughs> How rude. I'm laughing. How rude. Did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> Did I do that? Oh, do that. Quinn always says that. In that voice. Like Urkel? He, yeah. Oh, my He's God. never seen Urkel, but he thinks it's funny. <laughs> He's never seen the Hulk. He doesn't know anything. He knows the Hulk. <laughs> my child knows the Hulk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So those are the two. Th- well, actually, no, that's not true. There are many new things that are out now, including uh, the Stranger Things starter set. We've yep. talked about that a bunch. That's available. But the Essentials the Kit. The Essentials Kit. It is available now in Target stores in North America. You can also get it on Target.com in North America. What is the Essentials Kit, Shelly? You know it's about it. It's awesome. It is a – it kind of picks up where the starter left off. Is that true? <laughs> You're looking at me. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's a box set adventure yes. product that has everything you need to run a D&D adventure, including a really nice DM screen. It's got a really cool DM screen. Really cool dice. Yeah. Awesome Blood uh, red cards, dice. like NPC cards. Yeah. 
which one of them is modeled after Quinn. Oh, that's why you know that. Quinn Hightopple. Oh, that's really cool. And a little bit of backstory about them. And Sean Wood, our uh, one of our concept illustrators, did all of those characters. Yeah, and I think Quinn. on the last episode of Dragon Plus, mm-hmm. they were talking, I think, about Ghost of Saltmars. Kate, nice. Irwin, and Sean Wood. And them. speaking of Dragon Plus, there is a Dragon Plus issue so out now. I wanted to bring this up. Yeah. I loved your letter from the editor. Oh, thank you. It was so good. Thanks. I just loved the way it was written. I loved, I just like start to finish, just read the whole thing. Oh, It was so good. Thanks. Just, like really nicely done. You, well, now I'm going to cry. Uh, it oh. was, I it was very, I needed to do it. And I'm like on a plane coming back I know. from E3. It was like and I'm like, conscious, but yeah. very wonderful. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, it, uh, it meant a lot. I was talking about D&D Live and, and uh, also being at E3 and what that was like. Uh, uh, so, yeah, take a look. It's in the, it's, really it's, good. it's in the beginning. And then there's lots of stuff, recoverage from what was going on at D&D Live as well as it's a good uh, issue. the there's upcoming a stuff. Yeah. It's a wealth, a wealth of a knowledge. Wealth of, you of can info. you can get it on your phone, on your Android uh, or iOS device. Uh, it is an app that has uh, bi-monthly issues uh, mm-hmm. uh, with tons of new information. So and this just, one just uh, came out news today. Updates too, just like right. Always the news. Yeah, any any of our social media posts or anything like that that has uh, impactful news goes onto the feed for the yeah. Dragon Plus app, which is free. It's you can download shop. all the issues for free. You can also access all that on dragonmag.com. So if you don't have a phone or you don't want to access it through an app, you can definitely do that as well. Check it. Check it. Bart Carroll does a lot of good work uh, on that, including uh, making the covers look awesome. He does those? Well, I mean, yeah. Shauna does He paints do them himself. <laughs> Yeah. Is that what he's doing? That's what he's doing That's why all he the always time. smells like paint. I never knew. <laughs> <laughs> paint and old socks. Hmm. Now you know everything you need to know about Bart <laughs> It's a very, it's very, uh, uh, I feel privileged to know these things. Yeah. You sit next to him, so you probably already know. It's true, especially with the old socks. He's always at the gym. He's got lots of gym things to do. Lots of gym things. Yeah. He's got, you know keep that metabolism up. He's <laughs> got that trophy wife that's not going to just stick around. Right. <laughs> keep it up. What's her name again? Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Kazakobo. <laughs> also, did you see that Kesha dyed her hair dark? <laughs> okay, you get the prize for good segues into Thanks. our Kesha mythology. And now we totally mythology. look alike. Now it's like, oh, they totally are mother and daughter. Why haven't you uh, created a character that is basically Kesha, a bard? Basically, I have created a character. She is my daughter. <laughs> That's what it's I called. I create when you, when you give birth. This is birth. <laughs> if you are not... If you yeah, let's get her. If you're not watching the live stream of Dragon Talk, you're missing out. Birth. There's birthing. I'm showing of, you birth. This is what she does when she <laughs> creates uh, top number one singles. She's also birthing them she out. Birth them out. <laughs> the point is, she has dark hair now, just like you do. She looks like her mom. That's so <laughs> crazy. Uh, the resemblance is not so. Totally. TikTok. Um, that's, <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> She got that from you. You used to sing that to her in the womb. As a, as a little baby. As a little baby. How come you're not getting like any royalties from that? Don't stop till I walk in, baby Kesha. Boys blowing up my phone. <laughs> phones. <laughs> Pedicures on your toes. Toes. <laughs> toes. <laughs> Go to sleep, little Kesha. <laughs> 
did you put the actual dollar sign on the birth certificate too? Yeah, that's. Uh, it was a typo, but I was like, you know what? Just go with it. Why, why not? I like it. Babies cost a lot of money. It was just a fat finger type thing. You're yeah, like, you were typing totally. it out. I don't know if you're aware, but Shelly is actually spelled with the dollar sign. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You- Are you gonna do that now? I can't wait. That's fantastic. <laughs> Please do. Uh, you're good. We are uh, super excited about what is going to happen in this episode. We have got, uh, as I said, the interview popping, yes. uh, but we also have an poppin'. amazing lore you should know poppin coming out. Uh, do you want to throw it to that? Did you want to say anything else before? No, I think we should throw it. Let's throw do it. it. All right. Let's listen to Chris Perkins <gasps> talk about some amazing lore. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. That is where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore uh, for your own edification or just to use in your game or just for funs. Uh, I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by... Chris Perkins. How are you today? Pretty good. It has been a little while since we've recorded one of these. It's true. Uh, Today, though, is a very special day because we get to talk about Acquisitions Incorporated and the lore contained therein. Um, Something which, um, miraculously or surprisingly, we've never really talked about in this show before. We really haven't. Considering we've been involved with it for 10 years. Yeah, we've done interviews and things on it, but never yeah. never about the, the, the story and the lore and the background right. of, yes. of each of the characters. And we do get questions still about people, what is this Acquisitions Inc. thing you speak of? Right, exactly. And uh, we have a book uh, that is out now. You can get it everywhere. Acquisitions Incorporated, the source book uh, with tons of this lore and information in it. Uh, yes. And uh, we're going to highlight some of that here. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, Acquisitions, Inc. started as a podcast nigh on 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, Actually, a short series of podcasts that were meant to promote uh, Keep on the Shadowfell, the Mm. first adventure release for fourth edition. Right. This was in 2008? Yeah. And so we were were walking. It was – and – on another note, it was also designed to get Mike Krahulik into D&D gaming because mm. he had previously resisted efforts to play D&D, but Jerry finally coaxed him into sitting down for a game. And Mike and Jerry are the two artists behind Penny Arcade, mm-hmm. a long uh, video game-themed webcomic that had been around for eight or ten years before that. Yes. Uh, and famously, uh, Jerry, who goes by Tycho uh, in the comic, was a D&D fan. and aficionado, yes. whereas... Uh, Gabe, who is the alter ego of Mike Rahulik, was not. Yeah, he was a total um, TRPG neophyte. Exactly. Yes. Uh, and so this podcast was the first time Mike played. Is that right? That's correct. Wow. And his first role was a natural 20. <laughs> and from so that point on, life. he was in for life. That, yes. was, that was an easy one. Easy sell for him. Hook, line, and sinker. And uh, they also brought in their friend Scott Kurtz to play uh, a character who was originally going to be called, I want to say, Chet. No. Uh, Scott Kurtz's proposition for uh, Mike was having trouble naming his character, mm-hmm. and so his character was going to be named Chet. It was only a last minute change. Mike decided to call him Jim instead. Totally, totally yeah. different vibe. Yeah, Chet Awesome Laser, I believe, was oh, going yes. to be his name. <laughs> <laughs> instead, we got Jim Dark Magic of the New Hampshire Dark Magics. Even though there's no ha- New Hampshire in Fourth Edition, we let I let that one slide. It's it's a, it's an in joke for for anybody. Correct. Yes. So the first. And then the podcast was so popular that eventually we stepped up our game and it became a video. We had a video component added. Then we started to do the live shows, which, of course, ballooned into 
the grand spectacles that we see at PAX West and elsewhere. Right. Did you do the first one? Was that Gen Con? Was that where the first mm, one took place? I don't remember. At, at the live, you know, with a live audience? Yeah. Yeah. And we had like card tables that we were playing on on, on a cheap stage. And, right. Yeah. It was before it got the, the pomp and circumstance right. that it now yes. enjoys with, uh, with yes. Jeremy Crawford as the Dungeon Master. Exactly. And But we didn't know back then what the reception would be or even that D&D was something that people wanted to watch mm. instead of play. Right. It was not. In, it was not intuitive to me that people would want that this would be a spectator event, and I was. I was delightfully proven wrong. Yes, people. People seem to enjoy and now, it. And now look where that's gone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely nowhere. <laughs> 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 now you can watch D and D twenty four seven. Exactly. Thank you. I think. Um, so anyway, it started off in the fourth edition campaign setting, which was this kind of non campaign setting, mm-hmm. a generic land called Narath, the time of the Dawn War. Um, and uh, it was really built off of the bones of Keep on the Shadowfell and Thunderspire Labyrinth and the other fourth edition adventures of that time. Mm-hmm. And then fourth edition wrapped up and we were beginning work on fifth edition and the decision was made to make FR one of the prominent settings of fifth edition and to migrate Acquisitions Inc. from the world that they were in to the Forgotten Realms, mm-hmm. which led to the story of um, the, the characters traveling between worlds in the Dark Magic Mansion, where for the first time we got to see extended members of uh, the family of the characters, the Dark Magic, uh, New Hampshire Dark Magics. Uh, several members appeared in that story. And since then... Other family members of other characters have cropped up in other stories like Omen's sisters, Viari's parents, and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so the w- – was that a planned transition going from, from a, the, the setting of 4th edition into Forgotten Realms and then using the Dark Magic Mansion as the connective tissue? It was planned insofar as people wanted that to happen and so we narratively jumped through whatever hoops were necessary to get them from – this place to that place. It created some interesting uh, retcons is probably too extreme a word, mm. but we had to do things like, okay, well, Jerry was, pre- was a cleric of Arathis right. in the old world. Now he's a cleric of Timora, which we basically say Arathis and Timora are the same. There's different names, different worlds. Right. But it, we does, had, yeah. it does kind of continue the multiverse idea that, that D&D is, exactly. is in multiple different storylines. But we had, to, we had to reconcile all this. Like we had to have conversations offline about Jerry would come to me and say, okay, well, is Arathis in the Forgotten Realms? I would go, well, no. And then, well, which one is the closest to Arathis's portfolio? Yeah. And we went down the list and found Timora is really favorable toward adventurers and luck, and that seemed to tie in nicely with what Jerry envisioned his character getting behind. So... And other decisions had to be made like that as well. Um, and uh, it, like, for instance, I don't know if it ever came up in play, but we talked about uh, Scott Kurtz's dwarf character, that his clan actually crosses worlds, that they've oh, got okay. representatives on different worlds. And so he could find clan members on Forgotten Realms just as easily as back in Nareth. There'd be bronze bottoms everywhere. Exactly. It's just that prevalent. And bronze bottom ale, you'd, you'd be able to get across right. the multiverse. Right, which makes sense. Um, there's also, uh, you know, the idea of this corporate 
satirical take on it that I think grew over time, right? That was not necessarily Correct. there from the from the from the get go. No, it wasn't. I think I think Jerry coined the term acquisitions inc pretty early on, but it, at the early stages it was just a kind of a joke. Yeah. And then it became the grounding for the party and the the mentality under which the party sort of operates, which is hyper acquisition, treasure grabbing, corporate bureaucracy headed by this one character and everybody else is kind of subservient to you know, the structure of what Oman has in mind for his corporation. But that was an interesting take. I think that the reason why it gravitated so much with people was it plays to one of the corniest aspects of D&D, which is just the Monty Hall hoarding instinct, the treasure hunt. Right, so they end up having these large right. money bun- bins yes. worth of, of but treasure. But it's so, it's so ripe for comedy because many of us have been in corporate environments. We know how absurd some of that, sometimes that can seem, and you can amplify that in a D&D campaign really well yeah yeah and it also uh keyed into the idea of um kind of franchising out and there being like several different you know organizations yes. that would be in yeah. a- when jerry saw the potential of oh my god you could have multiple ac inc parties because they're all you know franchised that added even more humor and also just created the sense that you could run your own ac inc games at home and be considered part of the canon because you are just a, a franchise right um has there been anything like I – because mean, you can almost say that Akink is a mini setting or flavor mm-hmm. within Forgotten Realms, which is also within – Right, and we've, and we've legitimized it in a number of places. Like one of Ed Greenwood's novels mentions the character of Omen Drawn. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of embedded now in the lore. Right. Um, is there anything else like it? Yeah. It, it, it seems like it's a subset of a subset of a, yeah, of a subset. Yeah, it's, it's a weird case where – I mean this happens in D&D all the time – where something that is created autonomously by a fan gets insinuated into the greater game somehow. Right. And that can happen in one of several ways. Uh, you create a new monster for a monster manual or whatever, and it becomes this transcendent thing that takes on a life of its own. And, yeah. um, but not on that, not in the sense of here is a party, and that party is now a brand, mm. sort of, <laughs> that you can, or a, a faction that you can now insert and play with. In various things, I don't think we'd ever seen that before. And I and and to your point from earlier, how the entire entertainment or D and D as entertainment thing began with, uh, uh, or you know, was was popularized the most by Actions Incorporated. You've seen that happen with Critical Role naming of their groups, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with with every kind of group that has out there. Like this is this is our brand for our party, which yes. may not have been as prevalent before then. Correct. Yeah, certainly, certainly it wasn't. If if it was prevalent, it was you, there was no way of getting it out there to the masses like you can now. Right. Uh, what about the comedy? Because that is something that is very uh, uh, interesting about this specific flavor, right? That you just kind of right. played it up for comedy. Yeah, okay. and it's a very different style of game from the type of games that we typically run. Um, like people have seen how Jerry runs his games, and it's it's very uh, lavish and. Uh, but it's not for laughs and chuckles all the time. There's funny stuff that emerges in every D&D game, so yeah. that's natural. But with Acquisitions, Inc., because we knew we were... Be- because the guys were just tremendously funny to begin with, we knew we wanted the narrative to take on a goofy slant, partly because we were a little uncertain how else we would get people to actually watch it. Mm. You know? Right. If we played it straight, we were afraid that people wouldn't would want to be in the game. They don't want to listen to the game. Right. Whereas if it was a comedy routine, people would just get a few, at the very least, they'd get a few laughs out of it. 
yeah. and go, ha, 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 that was very light, and move on to some real entertainment. Yeah, that works. But it turned out that the, despite the fact that we deliberately set out to just bring the most funny we can into the show, there were great character developments yeah. happening in that comedy. Yeah. And, and the dynamics between the characters became particularly funny. Um, you know, and when Will Wheaton came on to sort of round out the party yeah. and you've got some dynamics happening between his character and Scott's character, his character and Jerry's character, and it's all improvised. Everything is improvised. Um, those, those relationships still get talked about. Yeah, and as canon. So yeah, yes. so so we we mentioned uh, Binwin Bronze Bonnet, which was Scott Curtis's character. Will Wheaton's character was Aothel. Yes. What was their their relationship, and and how does that? It was based on a. This is what happens in a corporate environment where you have to ladder climb to success, and you're you know you're both fairly low. Is there's this competing for the boss's affections or, or competing for competence angle, and that's sort of the the note that Scott and Will hit upon naturally, which is their characters don't like each other because they're kind of vying for the same attentions and spot in the organization, stuff like that. So yeah, uh, they wanted to do, uh, bring out that kind of cutthroat competition. Which ultimately led to AFL's demise. <laughs> yes, 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 in, in fact. Um, but we also, uh, that's, the weird thing about these characters too is we because we only had maybe two, possibly three games a year, mm-hmm. is you didn't have a lot of contact with the characters most of the time. So every time we sat down to play, the players had to get reacquainted mm. with their characters and how they worked mechanically. Yeah. Um, so that's why in live games and stuff, there's a lot of frantic looking at character sheets and not getting things exactly right because they literally haven't seen or played with the character for six months. For, for, many, for a long time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but as far as some of the, the, the lore and story behind them, so, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the dark magics. What, what are, what are their, what are the, the New Hampshire dark magics? Can you go through who their, their, uh, the scions of that house are? I, honestly, I don't remember all the names. Uh, it's been too many, it's been too many years. Uh, and they were mostly all improvised, right? They were all improvised. Um, I, I remember a couple of them because they showed up later, Percival and Olivia, our yes. cousins, kissing cousins, as it were, because oh. the dark magic family is actually incestuous. Uh, and by the way, this came up as a Twitter question, but um, folks asked how much discussion was there with me and Mike about the nature of the Dark Magic family for the episode. The answer is none. <laughs> I did not tell him because my, my philosophy is you don't get to pick your family. Mm. Nobody does. You're just stuck with what you got. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to surprise and, and delight. So, and I figured Jim's already breaking barriers when it comes to he's this sort of pansexual, you know, he... he screw with a broom in a closet if given a chance. It's, um, and so his family has similar uh, lack of inhibition when it comes to what they hang out with. Like so. most people I know from New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> the New Hampshire Hill Tribes. Uh, the, um, sorry sorry yeah. for anyone in New Hampshire. <laughs> Bad joke. It is. But, uh, so I wanted, I wanted just to do something for laughs and say that you know, the family is very close. Yes. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, and, that's and, fascinating. And, and of a wizardly bent. Uh, all, all the ones who meaning, or have meaningful lives in the Dark Magic family have 
have wizardly skills. It sort of runs through the blood, as it were. Right. And if you're using uh, the NPC stat blocks for for Jim, uh, or, or do any of his family members appear as NPCs in the book? In the book, no, I don't believe so. Okay, but you could probably still use yeah. his Jim Dark Magic kind of as a, a template for for yes. putting them out there. If you yes. want to create new characters in that family vein, absolutely use tenants like yeah. that. Uh, what about the Drawn family? What 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 are so um, Jerry's Jerry sort of built. He actually did some stuff before I got to mess with his family. <laughs> he had laid some groundwork and said that he had sisters, one of whom he had lost, and that served as a plot device that we used him trying to find his lost sister. Yeah. Um, and later it turned out they showed up as uh, Drawn Enterprises, this competing organization um, bent on the dismantling of Acquisitions, Inc., and only ending up getting practically dismantled itself. Right. So to set up some, nice, some friendly competition. Yeah, some like corporate exactly. know, like espionage type yeah. level of things. Exactly. And, and that was sort of based a little bit on um, like Disney family members going off and doing their own things or vying for control of parts of the company and right. things like that. It's like a, well, well, it's a well-worn kind of thing, but exactly. I don't think it had been done in a and d setting. No, not really. Yeah. And so theirs, theirs was all, while Jim's was all about wizards, Omen's was all about corporations and uh, business. Right, contracts. And, yes, uh, Viari's was all about sort of mystery and lies. Hmm. Uh, that Viari's family, we meet them, uh, the Dunstuckers, uh, uh, fairly late in. They're, they're simple pastoral farmer people, basically. Viari is not nothing like the family he comes from. Hmm. He's this showy, flamboyant bard, of course, rogue, with bard-like qualities. Yes. Um, but his family are backward um, and... Uh, they, they live a very low-key, not poverty-stricken, but generally not not much demands in terms of life and needs and wants. Very simple life, people. Yeah, and, not, and they don't feel the call to adventure. No, not at all. Uh, and very down-to-earth, grassrootsy, folksy mm-hmm. types, almost halfling-like. Yes, without, without the exactly yeah. who don't understand the adventuring life and don't understand anything like mm-hmm. that whatsoever. And and. Uh, it, there's sort of an embarrassment for him uh, that he yeah. he sort of ran away from because he felt like they never really amounted to much. Interesting. And that if you know that character, you know that he would never be able to abide that sort of existence for long. Yeah. Um, but one of the famous, fun, one of the funny jokes that uh, Pat Rothfuss and Jerry always played with is the idea that Viari can't get any upward mobility in the company. You right, because he's always an intern. He, he's always an intern and can't rise to the pinnacle of a gym. You know. Yeah, or or a Binwin even. That's interesting. Uh, there's also Morgane, uh, who's yes. been uh, played by Morgan Webb there. Yeah, and we had we had talked a little bit about bringing her in even earlier than she had come in. Yeah, the availability being what it was, though we brought her in at ex- what, what, what was a great time. What that did for the chemistry of the group is bring a female voice into what has traditionally been up to that point an entire male cast. Right, and the dynamic shift was fascinating. Um, because Morgan fit in perfectly, but it actually sort of changed the way the boys, as I call them, had to how their characters behaved right. in very subtle ways. And I thought that was really interesting because it, it sort of show, it sort of forces the characters to adapt mm-hmm. and change. And of course, she brought in this sort of no nonsense, you know, actions speak louder than words type personality. Yeah, um, that sort of cut through some of the dickering. Uh, and was and and really added something new to the game. That's cool. And have we been able to delve into her 
you know... She has remained enigmatic, but has showed up periodically, and she's shown up more recently in uh, Jeremy's game where, we, where he pulled, and she pulled a little switcheroo. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil too much if you haven't right, seen it. Right, that's, that's more recent. recent. Yeah, we don't yeah, want to say that. So watch uh, yes. most recent, I think, yes. uh, if you can. Uh, and then other people have come in to sort of change up the mix. The, the challenge has always been, for me, is I would... Uh, I often, I did not want or need to participate in the selection process of who the fourth player was. Um, but I was always, I always enjoyed the challenge of figuring out a way to help integrate them into the game and mm-hmm. integrate their characters into the game. But yeah, it's. Um, so as, as a dungeon master now, having this book and wanting to uh, incorporate some of these things, what, what would you give for, for folks? Uh, you know, obviously, if they use these NPCs, we can use some of the stuff we've talked about, but, mm-hmm. what, you know, and, and what the overall tenets are. But what, what are some ways that you would, uh, you know, that people can draw on your expertise as, you know, dungeon mastering this group for a long time? Uh, what does an Atkin game mean to you, and how can people, even if they're not big fans of the show, want to, to participate and use this book? I think that the appeal for me is to, um, story-wise... To keep the core essence of the game as, remember that it's all about acquisitions. Acquisition is sort of a common theme. The business aspect is a common theme. But you can play with that. Play with some trope, some corporate thing that Mm. you've had to deal with. You can integrate that into your game. Uh, Take something like a hostile takeover and play with that element. Or the corporate spy angle. Mm-hmm. You know, a rival corporations and trying to seed spies into your organization or steal confidential files or paperwork. Or there's all kinds of ways that you can cut it and tie into that sense of you're actually part of a a business. And I also like the idea of um, the search for items that may have bad sides to them. Like, you've got to find this thing, but it's cursed. But, of course, Acquisitions, Inc. doesn't care if you get cursed or irradiated or whatever by a magic item that you recover. They just want the item. Yeah. I like the fact that there is a coldness, a cold uh, sense of we don't really care about you. We care about what you produce kind of culture that's kind of fun to play with. But I think the most important thing is the humor. Uh, you got to find ways to be silly or introduce silly things. The keg robot is a good example, and it's statted up in the book. <laughs> um, it's a robot that carries beer. Yeah. Um, and it's a golem, a little golem that carries beer. I think that's the kind of thing that when you think of Ack Inc., people resonate with the most are these sort of quirky, out of, I don't want to say quite anachronistic, but close to anachronistic kinds of things that yeah, show up. Because it is close to anachronism because, you know, you think of yeah. the the business is that operate in say like a water deep or something like that. They have warehouses. They have like yes. a, a little bit of of the corporate structure yeah, that we of, have going one of the on. Games but it just had. heightens it. Yeah, exactly. One of the games that we did was about corporate security. Yeah. When they were in basically the whole game took place in the acquisitions inc headquarters in Baldur's Gate and we created the headquarters as this sort of very interesting stronghold where the chambers all moved around oh, and shifted I remember that form. One, yeah. um, and, and I just thought that would be something that Jerry would like and would fit with his, the way Omen thinks as a defense precaution. But basically testing the security system of corporate headquarters was uh, something that I thought would be cool just based on wizard experience of seeing how we handle our security here. Yeah, as well as... Um, yeah. Uh, and by the way, the rooms in this building do actually move around. 
you don't probably don't know that. In the Wizards of the Coast. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, no, this this room changes all the time. That's why right. we're in different place, uh, yeah. positions. This right was now. on the fourth floor yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I was looking for it. it was, I, I thought it was gone down there. No, it's on the third floor. Yeah, right. Um, but I, there was something that you, because what's really interesting is it is a little bit anachronism, yes. but it's a way to bring it to D&D tropes. Uh, so like the traps and magical traps that don't really make physical sense yes. make perfect sense mm-hmm. in, in this heightened feeling of a, of a, uh, uh, of a uh, building that's built up with all this security. Right, yes. And, and some, of the, some of the acquisition stories that we told on stage were also just driven by what was happening in the world at the time. The fact that Pacific Rim came out the week before we did the episode with the giant Halaster kaiju that they were stomping around in was not accidental. It just you know, kind of happened. It just kind of happened. Um, that happens a lot. Now, there have been things that I've wanted to put in or actually ideas that were seeded but never paid off. Mm. Um, w- one of the questions I get asked a lot has to do with early on in one of the first ones we did, the characters stopped by a place in Narath called the Five Leagues House. And there was a mysterious figure, a silhouetted person on the roof of the building watching them, mm. which they ignored and then went off and did their adventure. And a lot of people have asked, who the f*** was that character? <laughs> like, what was that all about? That was never paid up. Like, who is that? I get asked that question more than any other. Okay. Who was that? Can you reveal it now? I will reveal it now because it's almost surely not going to show up because I couldn't figure out a way to shoehorn it back in. Nice. It's future Jim come back to kill past Jim. Oh. But when he was on the roof planning to attack past Jim, he was struck by how beautiful past Jim was and couldn't (laughs) bring himself (laughs) to actually pull the trigger. Got it. All right. So that, <laughs> that's amazing. So they were going to meet at some point future Jim. I love that. Now, what's interesting is we did a, ultimately, I decided to spin that differently. With a clone. With a clone. Right. Um, because we were doing a Tomb of Annihilation. And it occurred, it occurred to me that Omen's a smart guy. If he knows the death curse is on and his, you know, his employees won't come back when they die, mm-hmm. he'll have them cloned. So he'll just replace them with a new one. Yeah. And that's how the Jim Dark Magic clone came to be. And that won't come to bite back to bite them in the ass, I'm sure. No, never. Never, not right. at all. Yeah. Uh, and something, you know, this is another tenant that we should get out there before we wrap this up is that, you know, you were, I mean, you mentioned it with Pacific Rim, you know, this kind of future thing is something that is a trope that's used in a lot of, you know, movies yeah. and, and comic books. Um, one of my favorite bits that, that you incorporated were the two gargoyles in the Out of the Abyss campaign, uh, yes. which were very much... Staldorf and Wattler. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the Muppets. Uh, you know, the, yeah, the riff on the, the uh, cranky old Muppet guys who, yes. who put down everybody. Waldorf and Stadler. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is another tenet of this, which is not don't be afraid to insert pop culture references into your D&D game. Right, yes. Because anybody who's watched a live Acquisitions Inc. games knows that Meta speaking, the guys are throwing around pop culture references all, the, all time. the time. Right. So just I embed them in the story because it's just an echo of what they're doing at the table. Yeah. And again, that's another like just different flavor of D and D kind of stuff in there. I mean, everybody does that in their home game to a certain extent anyway. But it is a way to heighten uh, and make sure it played up for for laughs. Yes. For those who don't know the lore about the Jim Dark Magic clone, after Omen had it created. He had it stashed aboard the Acquisition Sync battle balloon, which is their primary way of getting around in the world. 
which uh, used to be be- between my uh, my cubicle yes, and Trevor yes, Kidd's and now cubicle. Yes, now it's sitting at home with me for now, um, <laughs> where it won't get broken accidentally. You, you lovely hug it yes, exactly. every once in a while. Right. Um, but in, in my live stream game, Bag of Nails, who is Matt Lillard's tabaxi character, stole the battle balloon with the clone aboard, not realizing it was aboard. Yes. Then released the clone. Then the clone came back and... Well, then the clone went, we're not sure. We're not sure where the clone is, to be determined. Um, dot, dot, dot. Uh, oh, no, we do know what the clone. What happened to the clone. Uh, it came back, and then Jerry, kind soul that he is, playing Omen, basically uh, was confronted by a devil who told him he had to give up a soul. Mm. And he basically gave up the clone's soul to get rid of the clone and hide the evidence <laughs> that he had done <laughs> he had anything done like this. Yes. But then Word of the Clones has since gotten out, much to his company's screen. I love that movie, Word of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you for this stroll down some of the lore uh, behind Acquisitions Incorporated. There is, of course, a lot more. Uh, it's also a hard title to say quickly. Acquisitions Incorporated. I keep slurring over mm-hmm. it, so I apologize for that. But uh, how can people get in touch with you, Chris, to ask you any more questions about the, the earlier sessions of Ack Inc.? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Well, that has been this Laurie Chanel. We'll be back with some more uh, next week. Excellent. That was a really good lore segment. That was a great one. I They're know always good. They are always good. You know what else is always good? What? Talking about mental health. Let's talk about it. Let's do Let's it. Let's destigmatize it right now. I think there's, it's, there's something really uh, uh, important about uh, mentioning, and you, uh, you talked about my, uh, my D&D Live letter or the letter to, to Dragon Plus. I know, I love that. And I, I needed to, to kind of get it off my chest that it is, it is hard to, to, to put some of these events together. Yes. Uh, and it really takes a toll, and, and being able to talk about it uh, has, has made me feel uh, Oh, it made me better. sad when you were like... You were talking about how that that time period was really hard for you and the way you were feeling. You're like, nobody's going to have fun at this stupid event. I'll prove you wrong. (laughs) But I was like, but Greg, you're with us all day, almost every day. And we didn't know that you were struggling so much. I didn't. It was, I know it's one of those things you don't want to you don't want to make a big deal, but then at the same time it is uh, can, it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's important to to talk it through. And and uh, one of the uh, ideas behind the adventure Gardens of Fog that yeah. we're going to talk about in this interview is is just making the conversation around those topics more commonplace. Yeah. Right. Yes. All right. But you were you did great. So let's talk. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I, I don't like, yeah. It's, it's weird, right? But whatever. No, it's not. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Lift if us you up love. where we belong <laughs> with this next interview segment going now. <laughs> we have a crazy fun crew with us today. We are interviewing uh, these fine folks. We have Dr. B. Hi. Dr. B. Dr. B. That's Woo. me. Woo. Woo. We've got Hannah Rose. Hannah Rose. Hannah Rose. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, Hannah. And Bill Benham. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> oh. with Bill <laughs> We love Bill Benham. We're so excited you guys are here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you have made an amazing... Uh, we're glad to be here. That's, that's the way to do it. <laughs> you guys got to share the mic. It's going to be fun. I like how it's keeping it in the middle, so that it, it, you know, it's going to be slightly awkward for both of you. <laughs> 
fight, 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 fight. It's a mic fight. <laughs> Bill and uh, Bill and Shelly are sharing the mic, and it is going to be uh, crazy. So if there's any odd sounds coming from them, you know why, right? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, we have had Dr. B on the podcast before. It's been a long while. It's been about three years, yeah. Wow. That's been a long while. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we, we've, our jobs and, uh, personal lives have intersected many times, but mm-hmm. not on microphone. No, that's true. That's true. Um, actually, I, the last time I was on was just after I started as the clinical director at Take This. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we were still doing uh, podcasts out of conference rooms. I was, I was going to say, I remember the exact conference room down on the first floor. It was. And we were just like this little scrappy little podcast. It was fun. Before we became a potty award-winning podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, win, we win all the potties yeah. every day. So many potties. Uh, sometimes two or three times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan was there, of course, still bringing in his equipment and uh, recording it all uh, at the same time. It was tons of fun. I, th- I remember us being like... There's a lot of echoes in this conference room right now. I do recall that, yes. Yeah, it happens. Uh, but you've been doing so much great stuff since then, and one of those things is working on this adventure. I think this was one of your ideas, right? Um, it's certainly been something I've wanted to do for a while, uh, but it didn't come to fruition until, you know, credit where it's due, you and uh, Nick Mitchell really helped push for it and got these wonderful people involved. Can you tell us the name of this fabulous adventure? Yes, I can. It is called Gardens of Fog. It's available now on the DMs Guild, uh, and it is a charity module uh, that helps not only raise awareness for mental health, but also raise funds for Take This, which, if you don't know, is an absolutely fantastic mental health nonprofit serving the game community. In fact, the first mental health nonprofit serving the game community. And the greatest. <laughs> well, I think so, but I'm biased. <laughs> Just a bit. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't but, mean I'm wrong. Uh, but I know, yeah, you were working, you wanted to come up with an adventure that dealt with uh, some of the mental wellness issues around the gaming industry and to dramatize that in an, in an adventure form. And when you were looking for, for writers, I was like, oh, no, this guy, Bill, he's been working on a lot of stuff he he knows mental health inside and out i guess and uh uh to you know, an extent yes for, for, you know and so bill talk a little bit about what what you, what you do here at D and how you got involved well thank you greg so uh, i'm an associate producer here at uh, D, which has been a fantastic job uh but before that uh i spent 20 years in the army uh, where I was a medic and an occupational therapy technician, and then I worked in the private sector, nonprofits in healthcare, mostly addiction medicine. So um, when you approached me and said, hey, it's Dr. Bocamazzo, he wants to do something that's mental health focused, I kind of jumped on that. And it was, uh, it was probably the most challenging thing I've ever written in terms of how to like how to strike the balance between having a fun adventure and treating the source material respectfully so that it could be both kind of uh, clinically appropriate and educational and then fun at the same time. So it was, I, I often felt like I was screwing it up in one way or another. But that's why we have Hannah and Dr. B and we worked as a team to kind of bring it all together to make it awesome. It was, it was, it was, a, it was nerve-wracking, but it was a lot of fun. Like any good project, right? Indeed. Right? Uh, and so, Hannah, you came on and uh, were working on uh, the adventure, but also a really cool new subclass. Yeah. So, Dr. B approached me about creating the Psychomancer. And the Psychomancer is the mascot of Take This. 
um, and carries a little figure carrying a sword and shield. And we decided to make a cleric subclass, the mind domain, mm-hmm. for people to play a psychomancer and support their allies. And then Bill and I got together and was like, well, we need someone to edit this and look over it. And I need someone to edit this and look over it. And so we traded and it all worked on it together. Um, nice. And I think Bill did a fantastic job creating the adventure. I think you did a fantastic job. <laughs> Lift us up oh, where we belong. belong. <laughs> Musical segments now on Dragon Talk. That happens uh, uh, during the adventure, too. There is a, a song where you can sing, right? No? Okay, maybe I'll just I'll run it that you, way. Yeah, I think you have the freedom. Well, we tried to is. get a lovely bunch of coconuts in there, but I think Lawrence Welk's estate was not happy with that. Oh, man. His estate is notorious yeah. for not allowing that, specifically Unlike in D&D Joe adventures. <laughs> yeah, he's fine with totally it. Totally fine with it. He's like singing. Huge as, D&D fan. Sing as many bars as you want. We don't care. Uh, so I I love what you guys have done here. I love the idea of it. I love what, what it's supporting. And I imagine, though, there's a lot of different ways that you could have taken this, knowing what your goals were for it. So how, how did you strike that balance? Because that seems rather challenging, Bill. So... <laughs> When I first got started with it, I I approached it from uh, I kind of internalizing my own uh, experience, my own road with mental health, specifically with PTSD uh, and depression and anxiety, those kind of three things. Uh, and I looked at how they've affected me and folks that are close to me, and said, how can I how can I take that and turn it into something that can be realized, kind of in a game world in a way where it's, again, it's something that players can interact with and they can have fun with it, uh, but it also serves the the kind of educational purpose that we were looking for, and it's not too, like, I wanted it to be creepy and, and somewhat unsettling, but not too much so. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, that was that was what made it so, so hard. Because I was basically, when you confront depression and, and anxiety in the adventure, because you, spoiler alert, you will, um, what, yeah, what's the, what's the good yeah. like synopsis for people to to uh, go into this? Like, I don't want you to give anything away or, or uh, spoil anything for anything. But like, what should people think about when they're picking up this adventure and wanting to run it? Or yeah, if Doctor B, if you want to take that too, like, wh- how would you frame it as like a slug line? Like, what's what's this adventure well, about? I think the thing we have, if not on the cover, then in the beginning, is that a dear friend lies stricken, trapped inside their own mind. So mm-hmm. the Players are called to the bedside of someone who not only is suffering from depression and anxiety exacerbated by their situation, but a malevolent force is feeding off of that mm. and taking advantage of it and worsening their their struggle. Uh, so the players must delve into the mindscape of their friend and aid them by confronting um, both the issues that the friend is facing and their own manifestations of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Did, now I'm getting very World of Warcraft uh, Mr. Pandaria in my head right now uh, with, like, the Shah. Yeah. You know, of, like, the man- manifestation of, of emotions. Hmm. Yeah, actually, that is, I would say that is appropriate. Now, what I did was I spent some time kind of breaking down when I think of anxiety, when I think of how that makes me feel, how can I... Um, how could I project that out? So w- what the players face in the adventure is my idea of what, of what being anxious 
kind of taken to the tenth power would be like. Likewise with uh, with depression, but then also trying to weave in you know some fifth edition mechanics so that you can actually have the the, the satisfaction of kind of confronting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important. One thing Doctor B stressed from the beginning, and I think it's super important for anybody uh, reading the adventure or running it, is that the point of the adventure is not to fix the friend that you're assisting. It's not to fix them. Oh. It's to help them because we, as a society, we get kind of looped into the whole, all right, we're going to take a pill, you're going to do a thing, and you're fixed. Done. Right. And that's not what mental health is about. Mental health is a, is a, is a journey. It's like it's, it's work and it's, uh, it's, it's part of its relationship building. And sure, there's medication and there's clinical practice and everything, but it's something that you do throughout your life, not something like, all right, well, I did the thing and it's over now. And, and it's not good. something that someone else can come in and fix for you. Yes, right. Exactly. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's one of the things we really tried to emphasize subtle, uh, subtly, in some cases not so subtly with this module, is this idea that going in with a problem-solving attitude towards people who are struggling with mental health issues is often counterproductive. Like, you know, for you or, you know, anybody who's ever been in distress and doesn't know what to do about it, Mm -hmm. they go to a friend and that friend immediately starts problem-solving and here's what you should do, here's what you should do. Have you tried yoga? Oh, Oh, God. It's the cure for everything. Well, it sends a subtle message that I know better than you. I can fix your problems. Why can't you? And it ends up being counterproductive. So instead, we approach this with the idea of going in with empathy and validation Mm -hmm. and being able to sit with people as opposed to problem solving and subtly teaching some of those skills in the process. And unlike the Sean, Mr. Pandaria, you do some role playing. Mm. Um, so you can just fight your way through this adventure, absolutely. But that's going to be super challenging and um, actually harder, both oh. mechanically and maybe even emotionally, than uh, confronting and um, role playing certain aspects of this this fight. Interesting. This journey. Did, did you write it? Or did you write it? Did you guys plan it that way on purpose? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. So we we are going to be facing things and role-playing. Yes. As opposed to just going in there with swords ablazing and, and just fighting yes. whatever groups, comes our way. The groups that have played it on stream, Tales from the Mists and Hyper RPG, have Who done did a, f- a fantastic job. Yeah, oh, nice. Have done an amazing job of that so far. Um, I mentioned this on Todd Talks, but one of the... Uh, unexpected things I really love about this adventure is it's a great opportunity for parties to um, have to kind of reveal their character secrets mm. and go through things that are emotional and personal. And I really love that because it's fun to have character secrets, but as a player, you also want that to come out and want to interact with the rest of the party about that. And this offers a great opportunity for that. That is really cool. That's super cool. What level is this for? So what did we decide? Tier on? one. It's, it's tier yeah. It's one. for like first to fourth level characters. But a uh, big nod to the the Mistwalkers and TK, uh, who kind of up leveled it to like I think eighth level. Are they have something they like that? Seventh level. Seventh maybe, level. But Either yeah, way, it's super easy to scale up. Mm-hmm. And by the way, did a uh, they did a fantastic. Oh my goodness! Job. Yes. Yeah. Not that Hyper RPG didn't. But <laughs> everybody did a great everybody job. Everybody did a great job. Love I, lift us up. <laughs> we, you know, we were watching TK DM it, and we all know the adventure backwards and forwards. We've done like I've done like six passes on editing and designing, and uh, TK was still giving me chills, and I was sitting on the edge of my seat. That voice, yeah. <laughs> oh, some of that creepy voice. And I won't say to what part, but oof. it worked. 
And the flamingo. The flamingo. <laughs> Flamingos? Sold. Um, <laughs> now, now I'm really into it. I can't help but think about it, like, how great this would be for kids to be able, kids who are dealing with anxiety, like my own, who are, like, a way for him to, like, like face off against anxiety or, you know, to, like, the way for him to, like, a creative way for him to conquer what he's feeling inside. I have mentioned it before on a podcast. I got him this really good book called Hey Warrior. Have you heard of that one? No, but I want to know yeah. more really about good. it now. It's like it, it's like it teaches kids about de- depression and anxiety in like a really kid-friendly way. Like in a way, though, that when I was reading, I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's so interesting. But like it's like, hey, this anxiety is just like this part of your brain that actually you need. And you need it in certain times. And sometimes it just like triggers when you didn't need it. And you just have to be like, hey, buddy, like. It's cool. We're we're good here. Like, it. But it, it kind of teaches them role playing mm-hmm. anyway, or, or to like how to like personify what's happening in their brains, and then like being able in their childlike way to to talk to it and to talk it down. And then you are the one in control of it. And I actually just ordered him another book today about like freeing your child of anxiety. Did you order <laughs> Gardens of Fog? I'm about to. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know there's flamingos in it. <laughs> but I'm just wondering like if there's like elements of it. It's probably too advanced for a five-year-old, almost six-year-old. But if there's elements of it I can pull out. I think there are, then, yeah. yeah. I think it would be pretty intense. Yeah. Um, especially as a, what, you know, two to three hour adventure for, for a five to six-year-old. But I think they're absolutely themes and um, situations that you can pull out. That's cool. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 probably a little too in yeah, like Hannah said, it's probably a little too intense for um, as it's written, but you could certainly adapt certain elements of it, add a little bit more humor to it and make it completely appropriate for, you know, a, you know, young child. I'm really interested in the idea of like not uh, not necessarily encouraging combat, right? Because that's such a, a thing that is, uh, you know, can be ingrained in some parties of people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, there's a fight, or you know, there's a problem. I hit it with my my sword, and then everything goes away. And I like that you guys are are encouraging ways around uh, problems, or perhaps just dealing or integrating them into your lives. That uh, you know, I think is something that's really helpful. Even I mean, I don't, I don't even notice, but. When Shelly was talking about it, she's saying conquering and like defeating the anxiety within you. Uh, And you're like, well, that's kind of like. Learning to live with it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, that's something we wanted to be cognizant of um, when when we were building all this. Because, you know, how do you defeat a part of you without hurting you? Yeah. And that's really what it is. You know, Shelly, you brought up the idea of fear being adaptive. Well, fear is adaptive. It keeps you safe. Anxiety is fear blaring alarms all the time. And so how do you negotiate that? And that's part of the reason we made this a much more role-playing heavy module to uh, deal with the fact that, well, you're dealing with you. Yeah. And you don't want to hurt you. (laughs) Right. We can't just blow up the the mindscape of your friend because that would be bad. It would be bad. I mean, I think they tried that in – Oh God! Um, Inner space? No, wait, no. <laughs> no, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, like, what yes. happens when you basically excise certain parts of you? It goes wrong. It does not work out. 
so let's talk a little bit about the psychomancer because that is a uh, really awesome uh, aspect of this. I have a plushy psychomancer at my desk that I think you brought when we had that interview uh, three years ago. So it's been it's been proudly displayed since then. Um, what what it, what was it like creating this subclass to to get into the to the mind of of uh, adventurers? We talked a lot about take this and the mission of take this and the psychomancer representing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted the psychomancer to be advocating, help help people help themselves, right, in the way that a mental health counselor or therapist would do um, to support their party through difficult times and support and promote mental and emotional wellness. So there's actually a good bit of lore that goes along with the psychomancer subclass. We talked about kind of the the god, the deity, because it's a cleric subclass and mm-hmm. the history of that. Um, and there's actually a little Easter egg in there where the first psychomancer, their name is an anagram of Mark Klein, who's the founder of oh, Take This. Yes. Yeah, he's my predecessor, the first clinical director. I know Mark. Mark is great. He's been doing a, uh, yeah, I, I was I was there when they were we were founding Take This, and uh, Dr. Dr. Klein was uh, an amazing columnist, uh, uh, at the publication I worked at, so that was really cool. I'm glad that, that you got to have that in there. Is it Mark Klein no, or it's just Klein? No, Mari Klein. Ah, nice. Yeah, I so love that. anagram of Mark Klein. And uh, we, Dr. B and I just sat down and talked about, well, we looked at the cleric, you know, cleric subclasses and what level and what kind of features um, they get abilities at and created a list of domain spells. Um, so some of them are utility like Rary's telepathic bond um, mm-hmm. to promote, you know, communication, but also um, some combat-focused ones, defensive and support, like Shield of Faith. Um, what is their uh, channel divinity uh, kind of ability? Um, I really like the channel divinity ability. So this was all Hannah. Nice. Mm, we we collaborated. Yeah, the channel on it. divinity. This was you. We we came up with a bunch of options, uh, but the one we settled on was that they can, as their action, use their channel divinity and give the allies around them a bonus to wisdom saving throws that last for one minute. Um, so they, you know, bolster, bolster the spirits and um, mental fortitude and defenses mm-hmm. of their allies uh, that helps them protect themselves then against being frightened or charmed uh, from other effects. Nice. And I bet there's a lot of those effects in this adventure. Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. A little bit. I mean, wisdom saving throws are pretty common to anything, that's right? True. That's true. Yeah, there's really, that's a big deal. That's awesome. Cool. So, and then, so people who pick up this adventure can, you know, even if you're not running this, you can still uh, uh, use this subclass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can make a psychomancer NPC, which does appear in the adventure, or you can play as a psychomancer. Cool. I'm actually really looking forward to playing as a psychomancer. Once once we got this more down on paper, I was like, oh my god, this looks so much fun. Like, I really want to do this. This is going to be your character that you go uh, to, to one-shots with. I may start doing that. Yeah, I may break away from monks and bards and play a cleric for like the first time ever. Do it. Thank I want to hear also if you create a Psychomancer character, tell us about it. Please, tag us on Twitter. Please. We want to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, but one of the cool things, and uh, we mentioned this on uh, Todd Talks, was the idea that w- we basically wanted to make 
the psychomancer, the therapist of mm. the D and D world, and as such, we wanted we incorporated certain ethical qualities behind it. Um, the American Psychological Association actually has aspirational principles. Two of them being uh, beneficence and non maleficence. Basically, you need to work for the benefit of those around you. Do no harm. Uh, yeah, that's like that's one of the codes that that's like the only code that most of my colleagues and I know by number. <laughs> um, but what's the uh, number? <laughs> Uh, 3.04. And it's in like their it's the, the AP, the ethics code? Yeah, the AP oh ethics my God, code. That's um, awesome. But the, Don't put 3.04 this, man. No. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I may have said that to a colleague at one point. But, the, uh, but you have to act with beneficence and non-maleficence. You have to act with uh, for the good of your party. Otherwise, you could lose your cleric powers. Yeah. Well, what I like about what you just said, though, too, because I'm, I'm running a, a, a Waterdeep campaign right now, and I'm like, oh, my God, there should be Psychomancer NPCs set up in the yeah. cities. And, you know, they're not necessarily being, you know, hey, here's the psychiatrist type thing, but it's like, hey, here's you, where you go when you have problems. Yep. Or, like, when you, when you find, uh, you know, maybe the, the Dung Sweepers Guild, when, they're, when they find folks on the street, they're like, oh, here, you need to go to the Psychomancer, and that's how you will uh, uh, learn to deal with whatever is plaguing you. I would love to see that happen. That's so awesome. I'm going to do it. I'm, or it's, already, it's already added. Do it. <laughs> How, when you said you have to act on the good of your party mm-hmm. or you'll lose your cleric powers. I, I never played clerics, but for like obvious reasons. But I'm not, <laughs> what, I'm not good in emergencies. <laughs> um, but... How is that different than a, a regular cleric? Like, aren't they always kind of acting by the good of their party? Yeah. Not necessarily. You might be thinking of like a paladin who oh, follows their strict code of ethics. But then their their code of ethics could be, like the, their tool, you know, to like yeah. the the oath, was the oath of conquest. I think so. It's like they're not going to be helpful all the time. Or like if I'm a cleric, let's say I'm a cleric of a uh, like a life cleric of a, of a good deity, and I go and I do something really not nice to my party members or to somebody else, I still get to be a cleric of that deity. There might be some DM repercussions, but with the psychomancer, like it specifically states in there, like. If I do something that, you know, hurt one of my party members willfully or, or do something along those lines, then I don't get to have my psychomancer powers anymore because it contravenes what I'm trying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what the, uh, the, the, the god of Dr. Klein, what was it called again? Mariklan. the first psychomancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He's the first psychomancer? They, yes. Yeah. Not the god? Or is he? No. He's, okay. Well, they are the first psychomancer and are, are, became a deity. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. So is that where the psychomancer gets the powers mm-hmm. from? Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So yeah, the, yeah Thera Klein is like mm, no, yeah, not so much. The psychomancer disbarred. No, what is it called for? for a where you lose doctor? your license? Yeah. What's that called? Well, you just lose your license. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Dislicense. <laughs> Dislicense. <laughs> yes. But I'm a little the, disturbed by clerics now, by, but that's well. A, so, uh, the, and this was know. a really deliberate discussion on Hannah and my part. Um, that given some of the mind-based powers that the psychomancers have, I mean, it's literally the mind domain. Um, you know, th- think about some of the powers that exist within D and D, and some of the selfish, like charm person. Like mm-hmm. how much, how many selfish uses could a person do with charm person? And given that we really wanted to put an element of consent and help into the character of the psychomancer, because when you do therapy, there has to be yeah. a lot of consent. You need to know what you're getting into. Yeah. And, you know, because of the power differential in therapy, that could go wrong if a therapist abuses their authority and their power. And the same thing we wanted to put into um, the psychomancer. So they can't use these mind-based powers selfishly or for evil pursuits. So is it up to the DM to police this? Yes. yes. Okay. And now, speaking of the dungeon master, what, 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 
what did they need to know running this adventure? Is there any tips that you would give to a, a DM to really harness uh, I, the power of this awesomeness? Uh, y- yes. <laughs> um, one of them being talk with your players beforehand mm. because this this could tap into some stuff. Um, you, again, with consent, go in, uh, check out different safety procedures in terms of playing, the X card being one of the more popular ones, lines and veils being another one. Um, but check with your limits of your players and talk to them about what they're going to divulge, what they're not going to divulge. Because as Hannah pointed out, this really is a deep dive into yeah. some character stuff. And, you know, you can't help but put a little bit of yourself in your character. So this, is, this may churn up some emotions. But also as the DM, watch the language that you use. It's really easy for us in everyday life to use adjectives like crazy or this is insane. Um, but those are subtle cues that you may not be too keen on open on mental health issues. And so just watch your language as you do that. Um, things like, oh, my God, I'm so OCD. Cut that out. Um, <laughs> right. Just because I, you're neatening up your desk doesn't mean right. you're OCD. I mean, there's a difference between picky and fastidious and having a diagnosable condition. And yeah. if you've ever met somebody who struggles with OCD, it really is a struggle and it's horrible. Yeah. Um, and so just as a DM, watch that kind of language. We also talk about in the introduction to the adventure, right, this is not a module for you to give your friends therapy. Ah, you yes. You don't try to be your friend's therapist by running this adventure. Consent, don't do it. And especially if you're not a professional, don't be a therapist. Yeah, yeah. So, so with all that in mind, though, what, what are the benefits of, of running this for your for your for your friends and and for your group? Like, what, you know, uh, those are the caveats. What what, what makes it uh, uh, exciting and, and able to uh, investigate these issues, Bill? Well, um, like Hannah said earlier, it's an opportunity. Like, if if you want to set up where you want to give the characters an opportunity to divulge some kind of more deeply held information that maybe the player wants to get out there, but there hasn't been a good platform for it. Because, you know, like, well, there was that one time, and then you just, like, kind of launch into it. That doesn't really have a lot of gravity. But if you want to make it a part of this adventure, well, then it can kind of come out organically and help kind of deepen the... I see it as a way to deepen the bonds of of a party mm. um, and, and help them, like, become closer together or you could use for your dm you could use it as a plot point where maybe something comes out that wow it introduces an element of friction between two of the players um or two of the characters sorry uh but that yeah that's how i look at it that's really interesting because i have uh i mean in the aforementioned uh waterdeep campaign that i'm running um range of experience levels of people who have played D &D before in there and uh we had gotten to a point and we discussed last time we got together, like, you guys didn't really, like, I don't really know what you want to do. Like, they're a little bit like, hey, what should we do? DM. And I'm like, I'm giving them all these hooks. And they're not, you know, they're like, I don't really, uh, where is this adventure going? And I'm like, well, you, you guys, you, you didn't invest, you know, do the upfront of like, where, where is your character? So they just kind of came with a blank slate and they haven't developed it much since then. And so I'm wondering if an adventure like this might, you know, increase, you know, have some familial bonds or like create some kind of story that has emotional impact because they went in with a very, you know, kind of cookie cutter character creation. I think the adventure itself creates a session with a lot of emotional impact. And if players are craving or up for that kind of intense role playing and a very emotional session, mm-hmm. um, then this really delivers. Yeah. I don't know if they're up for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I might get players might. to invest in something before their characters can invest. Right, exactly. I might I might uh, convince their players to do it just to uh, uh, not necessarily convince, but you know, be like, hey, I think this is going to be good because it will it will. Uh, um, you introduce some of the emotional elements that we were talking about before, and if you're not okay with it, obviously we can always stop. But but you know, here's the here's one idea to make that happen. And actually, now I'm thinking about it, I have a character, a player who dropped out uh, uh, because of scheduling issues, and I might use that character as the one that uh, oh, is is having these idea. these uh, these issues, and then they have to yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah, the other thing is, right, the adventurer presents a character who is struggling with their issues, but you can make that anyone in your campaign. You can use an NPC, you can use a family member of one of the characters, somebody who's close to them, who they care about. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, uh, part of the reason we specifically chose anxiety and depression as part of this is because their mood disorders and anxiety disorders are the two com- most common diagnoses. You know, one of the statistics that people don't know is that one in two people in the United States will be diagnosed in their lifetime, and the most common ones are anxiety disorders because there's just so many of them. Yeah. Um, but mood disorders I coming you were in second. Because there are just so many things to be anxious about. Well, listen, we could that's we can talk about all the existential angst I feel after this. Um, but that's part of the, and we wanted to present, uh, the, or, uh, how ordinary it is. Yeah. This is not, uh, a, in the module, it's not some heroic knight who's been crusading through for 20 years. It's a farmer. Mm. It, it's someone who struggles with mundane things. And, uh, Hannah's right. That brings a certain adaptability to the game that I gotta say, Tales from the Mist, boy, did they, they incorporated that in really well. Nice. I can't wait to watch that. I, uh, and I and I like that. I mean, that's part of your tenets of take this in a, in a certain extent is to uh, allow for uh, the stigmas of talking about mental mental health and mental wellness uh, be removed from gaming because mm-hmm. you know so many of the stories that we deal with are just heroes and they're fine and they live through the most traumatic experiences of their life and then the next day they're like let's go do it again you know and they don't ever have uh, the moments to uh, to dwell or or to uh, self-examine and so I like that this adventure is a way to do that yeah be a hard balance to strike right to in order to have your campaign be fun uh, having your characters have to deal with severe PTSD from you know being in a war is probably not my cup of tea but I think um, especially as I play more D&D and as I get older, I want to delve into some of those themes more in a limited way yeah. and really recognize that the things the characters are dealing with are serious and have emotional impact. So question for all of you. When you're about to start a new adventure, do you create a new character or do you use a character that you've played before? Bill? <laughs> Kind of depends. Like, there's one uh, cleric that I've remade third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition. Who, like, he's kind of like an old, comfortable pair of sweatpants. <laughs> you can, I, like, it's just kind of fun. Other times, uh, I, w- I want to make someone that's kind of specific to, like, uh, I'm getting ready to start a Ghost of Salt Marsh game. So I made someone that very specifically has ties to the sea and that area because it gives the well, it gives the DM a lot to work with, and plus it helps me kind of. You know, role play as we go along. So that's that's where I'm at. I usually create new characters for a long-term campaign, especially so the DM can work in their background and they can go on that journey. Uh, But I play, you know, characters I have in my back pocket for one-shots. On Sunday, I'm going to be playing Mistress of Modules, uh, 
and Celeste Conowich is running James Intracasso's uh, Planet of the Tarasks. So the character I'm playing, who's a tabaxi monk, has actually taken down a Tarask before during an Origins game. Um, so I'm looking forward to playing her again. But for, for long-term campaigns, I always create a new character. Yeah, same answer as Hannah. Um, if I was doing a one-shot, then, you know, I'll, I'll play. I've got loads of characters already loaded onto T&D Beyond. I'll just pick one <laughs> and just scale it to whatever appropriate level. But long-term, yeah, I love, I love having new characters. Smash that random character button. Oh, no, that's the best. That's, that's my my go to. Yeah, I've been. Uh, yeah, actually, r- recently that's what I've done. Or if someone, you know, they tell me what level range it is, I'll just see if I have something in that level range in my in my library of stuff that I've made. Uh, but now that I've been doing, you know, random character generators with uh, uh, with uh, Kate, uh, like that that list is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, so I have I have plenty to choose from. So. The reason why I ask that is kind of you kind of touched on this a little bit is for this type of adventure, would I be because I I mean I have a lot of characters, a lot of them that I've I've played for a while, and I'm sure there's stuff in their backstories that would be really interesting to discover playing this, like things that like I kind of feel like I know why she's this way, Do but it. or would is it better for me to create a character for this adventure that knowing like I'm going to create her with these types of things in her background that I want to, like, put out there and then, see, you know, see how they play out. Or should I just – should it be the element of discovery? Like, well, how do I create – how do I create a character for this? What do you want to do? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess like, – How do you want to do this? It, how do you want to do this? <laughs> I think if I were to create a character sp- specifically for this, like, how – what, how would you guide me into doing that? Like, I really, I don't know. I would say that the important thing is that the DM be really familiar with your character and their backstory and the issues that might come up for them. So playing a character that, you know, from a long-term campaign that the DM already knows is good, but if you're playing a new character, then hopefully the DM is ready for an info dump that you can give right. them about the character. So I should be creating a backstory of, like, what kinds of things... W- would I be putting in there that are going to help propel this adventure forward or help make, you know, this, what do I need in there? Or having an agreement with your DM, depending on your style and their style, that they can kind of decide things about your character and bring things up for your character that maybe you don't even know about. That's what I was wondering, too. Does the DM have that, is that good for the DM to do, to be, like, unearthing things that maybe you didn't realize were there? I would say as long as, like Dr. B mentioned earlier about boundaries, as as long as there's a good understanding between you and the DM and that, uh, yeah, personal and professional boundaries are are respected, I think it would be great. Uh, The way I envisioned it was um, that, like, there is a, not a placeholder NPC, but the NPC that's there is if you're going to run it as a one-shot. Uh, but if it works great if you can take and drop someone in there and you've been playing established characters so that the DM can kind of, and the players can kind of weave those storylines together a little more tightly. I think, I think it's interesting also, Dr. B, when you said you're not, you don't run this to be a therapist for your friends. And if you're not a therapist, you really shouldn't be doing all that. No, no, that's, that's illegal to be a therapist when you're not one. You're not (laughs) one. So I feel like that is, um, a good reminder for, DMs and for players that if the DM is using something that they see in your character as purely as a story hook, like you can't take that as like you think I'm OCD or like whatever, like you know, 
It's got to have, there's a lot of balance. And like you said, there's a lot of trust in running something like this. And Absolutely. need to talk about it before, yeah. right? Yeah. About what kind of game you want to have and what uh, things you're okay with the DM doing. Yeah. Yeah, and especially with something as emotionally heavy as this. Um, so Kate Welch was on uh, one of Take This's panels last year at PAX West, and she talked a lot about aftercare. Um, especially for really emotionally intense storylines. And, you know, I I think this is one of those things, if you have enough trust in your DM and they're good enough with improvisational, you know, topics, then totally you could just bring a a new character and throw that at them. But again, as long as you have that trust between the two of you, uh, that would be great. But I love the idea of really exploring an established character Especially if your DM has the the knives to stick in their back, and so I I know that a lot of of therapists use role playing. We're working on more, that, like in <laughs> in session. Like, is this similar to how it would be? Because I'm thinking, like, oh, if Doctor B was my DM, that he could just see all sorts of things. Like, oh my god, like immediately, <laughs> like, just from like the way I pick my dice up, you'd be like, what yeah, is I'm going totally on? Yeah, I'm totally judging that? you all the time. <laughs> Treating, we judging, don't do that. No. But I, I think like I would be totally into having a therapist that's like, let's do it this way. Like, I'll run one for you. I, and I would be totally open to your keen observations. <laughs> <laughs> Not you the judgments, it, but the observations. <laughs> I, actually, no, I, I actually don't see people anymore. Um, what? Well, I'm traveling so much uh, with Take This. I was gone like two and a half weeks in March doing uh, I forget how many talks. I can't have a caseload. <laughs> no, that would be bad for your patients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I'm sometimes gone half the month. Um, That's, I'm, I'm now just curious how like it would work with role-playing in, in an actual In a therapeutic environment? Yeah. Well, okay, so uh, theoretically speaking, there have been therapy techniques that are role-playing-based used for a century. Or more. Um, and when um, Dr. Megan Connell and I train clinicians on how to use this stuff therapeutically, we actually work backwards from the way most people think. The model that w- she and I created, um, it doesn't take role-playing games first and then shove them into therapy settings. You take established therapeutic interventions and adapt the role-playing to those. So it's actually theoretically based. We, we've got a whole day long working on a two day long training. I'm happy to talk to you all about it later because um, I could literally go on for this for an entire day. Yes. yes. Let's that's, I think that's what she wants. She wants <laughs> to book them now. <laughs> <laughs> we got three days. Uh, we, I, I actually think we're giving week. a three hour, uh, three hour presentation on that at GameholeCon. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, on the last day of Game Hole Con when everybody else is, everybody's just going to be asleep. That's when you need aftercare the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think that's something that's really important, and maybe even just for the running of this adventure, too, to think about is that build in some, some time to discuss uh, afterwards. You don't want to yes. necessarily play up until 2 a.m. and be like, all right, see you guys later. Uh, bye. You know, you want to you have it be a, uh, uh, a situation where, uh, you know, the, the story can be resolved and then the, the group can, can talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in fact, on all of the streams that uh, groups are running of this adventure, uh, we have a therapist coming in, a licensed mental health professional coming in and doing a little debrief afterwards. Yeah. So Dr. Megan Connell, who is actually a guest on Tales from the Mist, joined that group uh, after the stream to debrief and discuss it. 
I love that. Yeah, just basically have a mental health health discussion of the themes that are presented. And also um, to talk about how uh, while we did try and represent these mental health themes artistically and compassionately and stigma-free, obviously anxiety is not caused by what it's caused in the module. Right. You don't have actual demons inside you, is that what you're saying? Yeah, no. (laughs) uh, at least not to my knowledge, but I don't know. Well, even in the module, it is caused by mundane things and exacerbated. Right. But still. Yeah. Um, and that's that was an important thing we I know we wanted to depict is this idea that we all have existing vulnerabilities to mental health um, yeah. stressors and then environmental things can take it over the top. Well, I've got a potentially challenging question, but I'm going to throw it out to you guys. So, you know, a lot of the, the, the warnings and caveats here that you're throwing out, I feel like many groups will just might be like, ah, well, it's just not for my group. And I wonder if there's a way to run this in a way that, you know, obviously you still have all the, the consent and, and the safety protocols in place, but you don't necessarily say, like, we're going to get into some deep shit tonight, <laughs> right? Like, you, you, you kind of make it more like the escapism module that, that most D&D modules are like, but you're dealing with some of these issues in a way and presenting it to an audience that may, if you presented it as, like, we're going to get into some mental health, they would say, like, eh, no, I don't want to do that. But you, <laughs> you could, basically I'm saying, can you trick your party into doing this in a way that uh, would get these messages across about mental health that they may not be receptive to if you just put them on a, as, as a bold face? So there's a challenging question there. What do you guys think? I'd say yes. Like you absolutely can take the adventure, <clears throat> not really give um, like the mental health preface and just go with the theme, which is, oh, you have a friend. Uh, there's something causing problems and you're going to enter basically a dreamscape and you're going to help solve the problem because that's what adventures do. You could totally do that absolutely. and allow as it to. As long as you have existing safety tools with your group, I think. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, and then you allow these things to kind of come up uh, organically in the course of play. Um, but I, I like the idea of prefacing it just first, a little bit. But you could, you, you wouldn't have to. I, I think, think you could also read the module and pull out some of the themes and monsters and mm. things that happen, and um, maybe put them in another adventure in a slightly different form. Yeah, because there, are, I mean, because there are people who play D anD D just to. Yeah. mess around Have with fun. your friends absolutely right? and you don't want to necessarily make it like well this is the you know this is the after school special version <laughs> of of D&D that you know they may be like well screw that I want to kill the dragon like we always do like why do we have to do something that's that's so different and I feel like that is counter to what your uh, your goals are for this thing is just to try to get people to talk about these issues a little bit more um, yes I know I mean you even if people are just considering these issues, they're already doing more than they were before. Right. Even if they, you know, this doesn't have to be a very special D&D episode <laughs> where Blossom talks about whatever for the eighth time. Right. Um, but the, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Let's say by the bell episode. We're going Jesse Spano. Yeah, okay, I had wow. to. I'm sorry. Okay. That's, that's um, eminently quotable. They're just being old together. Kids. Yeah, no, we're Stop old. Watching. We're old. Um <laughs> But you can you can go in as deeply and with as much reverence as you want, or you can keep it light and keep an, an adventure. And hey, you learn some actual interpersonal skills that are helpful along the way. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Take take what you can from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and w- one of the best things about the adventure is actually the 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 volume of resources that Doctor B included mm. in the adventure. So it's like, hey, if you want to. You know, if this brings something up and you want to talk to somebody about it, 
here's a list of people you can contact and their websites. So, And within the adventure itself, the psychomancer NPC can appear and aid or advise the players, oh, cool. player characters, right? So if the players are really floundering and don't know what to do and don't know how to kind of role play out helping, you Clippy, know, the characters Clippy, in the, trouble. the NPC <laughs> shows up. Jeremy Crawford gives you advice on the indie rules. In my mind, it's Ron Howard narrating. It's always Morgan Freeman for me, but... You choose your own narrator. They tried to fight anxiety. They thought they won. They hadn't. (laughs) It's inside of all of you. That's the answer. Um, So you guys are mentioning uh, a whole bunch of places where you can check out uh, groups who have uh, played this. Uh, Let's go through those again and then talk about where people can get this adventure. Uh, So the groups that have played it already have been Tales from the Mists. They actually premiered it on the 15th, and, you know, thank you for doing so. Yeah. Hyper RPG did uh, played it on the 18th, and they just did a stellar job doing a one-shot. Uh, this Saturday, Rivals of Waterdeep, they're going to be doing it. I'm really excited to yeah, see uh, and I believe uh, they're going to bring in uh, Dr. Denise Morales, uh, who, a psychologist that Take This has worked with, and they're going to have a discussion about mental health afterwards. Awesome. Uh, and then after that, uh, Clinical Role, we're going to be having a discussion of it since we're all mental health folks. Seems to make sense. Yeah, so we'll be doing that next Monday for an hour before we play our regular game. And then I believe on the 29th, Mistress of Modules is going to be running it as well. Awesome. Right on. All right. Uh, look for all of that in the uh, the show notes uh, for those of you listening in podcast form on links on where to watch all that. And then where can people find the adventure? On the DMs Guild. That's uh, right. You pull up the DMs Guild and put in Gardens of, of uh, Fog. It, uh, <laughs> Do you have to put the uhs in there? <laughs> you don't have to put the uhs in. <laughs> Well, unless you want to practice your pilot voice. That's just like... We're, uh... <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> the you, trailing. Uh, there you go. out to the right, you'll see Gardens of Fog on the, uh... <laughs> hey, Mom, look, there's Gardens of Fog. Let's download it from the DMs Guild right now. Whee! And that does, uh, that's the adventure. It does come with the, uh, the Psychomancer subclass, and all the proceeds go to, uh, go to take this. So, it's, yeah. it's a worthy spend. And if you like it, leave a review, let us know, tell us about your Psychomancer characters. We'd love to hear. Yes. Awesome. And how can people get in touch with you fine folks uh, to ask you questions about how to run it or how to play the Psychomancer or how to be mentally healthy? Uh, You can reach me at Bill.Benham2. I don't know who Bill.Benham1 is, but when I find him, it's on. (laughs) Uh, Because he took that from me. Uh, But yeah, Bill.Benham2 on Twitter. Feel free to DM me uh, or, or... just drop me a mention. I will be happy to talk with you about it. You can find me online at Wild Rose Mage on Twitter and Instagram. You should totally follow her. <laughs> <laughs> I called out Greg earlier for not following me. I swear so. I had. I'm going to do it right now. It was a Twitter algorithm that took it away, right? It feels like that. <laughs> um, you can find Take This uh, at TakeThisOrg on both Twitter and uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find me at the Doctor B. That's T H E E. D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy on Twitter um, and you can always check out some resources at takethis.org Nice all of the things I just followed you again <laughs> I'm following everyone everyone should be following uh, Wild Rose Mage because you do great stuff Aww.
Thanks. She's amazing. Making the things happen, uh, including work on uh, the, the aforementioned uh, D&D books uh, yes. uh, that have been out there. I think the one I could talk about is Descent into Avernus, which I edited part of. And then I've got a bunch of other projects happening this summer. There's lots of things. All the things we're very excited about. I like how you were like, the one I can talk about. So people are like, what are the ones you can't talk about? Boom, boom, boom. We will cut the mic if she tries talking about other people. So don't. <laughs> That's not true. We're not that. We're not that. We would not cut the mic. There's actually a big guy off to the side of the screen who's going to spear tackle her if she uh, starts talking about Ryan it. Ryan would so kill us if we cut the, the mic. <laughs> Just literally cut it. <laughs> right. The, the big person really is, uh, uh, still talking. is the Nathan Stewart, <laughs> VP of oh, D&D. Oh, yeah. Nathan. <laughs> Big promotion. We got we got rhyming uh, acronyms here. VP of D and D. I like it. That's why they had to promote him. That's right. It just made sense. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for being here. I love all the work that you've done uh, for Take This and then specifically about this adventure and bringing it to life. Uh, it's amazing. I can't wait to uh, read it and watch all of the dramatizations of it out there. And I uh, would love to encourage those of you out uh, in the multiverse to uh, stream it or talk about uh, your experiences and uh, make sure to tag all these fine folks in those discussions. Please destigmatize uh, mental health. Uh, by all means, it's, yeah, let's, uh, get, let's get talking about it. I adore all three of those people. Okay, that was a dream team that you put together. Why? I mean, it was it was I didn't I, I uh, didn't necessarily put it all together, but I I, I suggested yes. that folks work together, and but they you did. Suggested they good it. people. They worked well together. And you know what? I didn't get a chance to ask this, but I have a feeling. Yeah, I think there might be more adventures like this, <gasps> like a sequel. I maybe or just. Some more gardens more. of fog too. I'd like to see more. I, th- I mean, that's true. Yeah, you know, uh, there is a wealth of stuff out there. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, we had um, uh, the id DM Michael Mullen on here yeah. uh, a, a few months ago. Yeah, uh, when we were recording in your house, uh, yeah. if you remember. Oh, um, but he has done a lot of amazing uh, work as well uh, for the. Um, uh, American Society, uh, uh, Suicide Prevention of America yes. uh, organizations and things like that. And he's done lots of uh, similarly themed D&D material uh, like that. And so I'm hoping that uh, with the work that he has done as well as uh, this adventure for Take This, uh, that it gets out there a little bit more. And people yep. are, especially in gaming circles, talk about it uh, a little bit more freely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's why I wanted to be my example as well, to be like, hey, it's okay to, it's okay to, to say, about. you know, Things got hard, or things are hard. Yeah, and, I think you'd you be hard-pressed to find anyone who has never felt the struggle Yeah, in one way or another. I don't think D- that happens. Dr. B said one out, of two, one out of two Americans will be diagnosed with a, yeah. dis- an anxiety or mood disorder. Right. Which means the other one probably just hasn't been diagnosed. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty. Yeah. I think everybody's dealing with to some degree. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I think what he might be saying is that there are you know, the, know. The folks who are at a diagnosable or treatable yeah. level, but it's important for everybody, you know, two out of two Americans, <laughs> to yes. be able to talk about it and have the vocabulary yeah. and uh, to recognize some signals in other people that, you know, hey, you may be struggling. I'm, I'm here to help. Uh, and uh, my psychomancer can... And I, I actually love your idea you. about putting them psychomancers in... Adventures. Yeah. It's like a great way to just heal up a little. Right. Come, come talk. There's the idea of healers uh, yes. throughout all of D&D. Healing is not just physical ailments. It, you can be healing mental ailments. Yeah. 
And why wouldn't there be a, a, a cleric who follows the god of, of the mind or, or something like that that would be healing those things? Because, you know, even though we have only had the language to talk about PTSD for the last, you know, 100 years, 50 years, sure as heck probably existed, uh, you know, as long as there's been stressful uh, times and, with, yeah. you know, things happening with people, which is pretty much all the time, yep. you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. There should be more NPCs. It was your point. Well, thank you. So, again... Elevate, <laughs> lifting you up. You're just light as a feather. I am Tito. from all of the love of the D&D community and uh, my co-host. So thank you. That's what we're here for. Where can people find out about uh, you, Shelley, and well, how you can lift everyone else just, up online? Yeah, if you need some lifting up, you can find me on Twitter at Shelley Moo, and I will, I will tweet you a nice elevation. You do that actually on the Twitters a lot. I you do. are a very kind person and is always like, Shut, you do good stuff. You're awesome. You know, your internet persona is always a little bit different than your real life. <laughs> <laughs> is that why you like, on the internet. Is that why it's you like The Bachelorette so much? Is you can be like, this is, that, that's, gotta, that's that one side. I'm really struggling with The Bachelorette are you right okay? now. Do you need a hug? I don't. <laughs> I think I just, it's really hard to watch the season. Like, hard. Usually it's just hard, but like in a funny, enjoyable way. And now it's just like, Mm-mm. man. Do you anyway. think you're growing up? Do you think you're finally growing up? I think I just don't like 24-year-olds that can't make good decisions. Mm. But what, you, what what happens when uh, uh, Quinn is 24 years old and is appearing on it's gonna be really hard. The Bachelorette season 59 or whatever it will be on? <laughs> As a contestant? As a He's contestant. not even the lead? <laughs> <laughs> I'll oh. just be like, well, that's a parenting fail. Well, the first time I dealt with this with Kesha when he, she was in the, <laughs> the spotlight. It was hard. It was hard. Yeah. This time I've got it down. I'll, I'll know what to do. You'll know what to do. I'll C- know what to do. Come here, Quinny. But uh, anyway, yes, that is, what are we talking about? Oh, Twitter, where, where they can find Mo. you. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, Facebook. If you want those Bachelor at recaps that aren't actually coming. Are I'm you caught up? A, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not caught up on writing because it's too painful to write. But you can find me on Facebook at um, Shelly Mazenoble Writer. Not the other page. Not the other one, but no. the writer page. The writer page is where all the action. That's where all the, where all the action is. Awesome. Uh, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter. I am also on the Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. Follow me there. If you want to find everything about Dungeons and Dragons. Who doesn't? There's lots of places you can go. You can go to Dragon Plus, like we mentioned uh, in the intro. You can go to DragonMag.com where all that stuff is or just DungeonsAndDragons.com and you'll find out all of our podcast hub pages as well as show notes are there including uh, announcements about upcoming fun things including... Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty. Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty, which is coming it's down. It's November, the but still, it's coming soon. I'm so excited. There's the uh, the Baldur's Gate battle for Baldur's Gate Dungeon Mayhem expansion. Also is coming. very excited. Uh, there's some other fun stuff coming about that game, but I just leaked, and you're just gonna have to figure it out. Also, Ghosts oh, of Saltmarsh yeah. is really cool and is out there now. As is Acquisitions Incorporated. So get adventuring, people, and get ready to go to hell. When. In the best possible way. Battle for Baldur's Gate. No, wait. No. Uh, uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus drops on September 17th. Uh, Also, Baldur's Gate 3 is a really great video game, and you should watch the trailer. Yes. All right. I think we're done. I think think we're done now. We did all of our our shilling. That That was really good. You were really good. Shill, shill. You know what we should do? We should just make sure we, we, we close the door on this cave and make sure no one ever comes in here again. Okay. All right. I'm just going to close it. Ready? One, yep. two, three. Oh. That wasn't that bad. Ah! Attacked by monsters. 